good evening and welcome to Corridors of Power and the, the penultimate day of the exhibition, which has run from the, uh, the 15th of this month. Uh, we've had a fairly uh, interesting response to the exhibits for those of you who are coming for the first time. My name is Sanjana Hattatua. I'm a senior researcher at the Center for Policy Alternatives and the curator of this exhibition as well. Um, over the past couple of nights, we've had talks and panels looking at the issue of constitutionalism in this country. We've had Mr. Jayampada Vikramaratna, Mr. Shirar Laktilaka, amongst many others who have come and critiqued, shed light on, or shared their perspectives on the process through which Sri Lanka is or has embarked on a new process of constitution making. Uh, so we've had, uh, for example, Mr. Uh, Jayampati coming and talking about, for the first time actually, uh, in public, a representative of the government talking about what the government will do and wants to see in a new constitution. And two nights ago, we had Mr. Laktilaka who came and also spoke as the coordinating secretary of the president about what he thinks can be done. The art of the possible when talking about a new constitution is very, very interesting, and I think it was the one presentation that led to the most amount of public interaction, um, uh, because his talk in particular was titled um, The F Word, and we were looking at the future of federalism, um, and in particular in relation to the Tamil national question. The art around you is reflective of power, and... Um, I do a curator's tour, a curator's guide. I've done it for three days. I couldn't do it today because I had a workshop outside of Colombo and I wasn't sure about the time I was going to come back into Colombo. But I'm also doing one tomorrow at four o'clock. And I've been told that it really does help as part of that tour to, be, uh, to hear how the art, in a sense, was created, how it was shaped, how it was formed and those who came for the tour uh, suggested that I do one more. So I'm doing one again, unplanned, but due to popular demand tomorrow at four o'clock. So if you're interested in the process through which this exhibition came to life, please join me at four o'clock tomorrow, also the last day. And tomorrow we also have a keynote, by the way. But simply put, Asanga Valikala's research, an old friend of mine, for those who haven't come before, uh, has been interpreted through Channa Daswat, an architect, to give life to as a spatial or physical construct the power enshrined in the 1972, the 1978, and amendments to the 1978 constitution, most notably the 13th, uh, the 18th, and then ending with the 19th. To our knowledge, it hasn't been done before, so the plot of land and the building are representations of the respective constitutions. But I urge you to also not take it too literally. There is this famous painting of a pipe by Marguerite. And in French it says, ce n'est pas un pipe. And it's a, it's a, it's, it, you would have seen it. It's this pipe and basically what Marguerite says is, this is not a pipe. And just as that was not a pipe, this is not the 72 constitution, that's not the 78 constitution. These are interpretations of the power relations. They are deep, political critiques. Every window, every staircase, every corridor, the roof line, the shape of the roof, the slant of the roof, the slant of the land, the eroding soil, every pillar, every pile has a resonance in some past relation and structure in the constitution. That is how these buildings are made. 
Insofar as the introduction goes, uh, I have to just share two stories. On the first night, and bear with me if you heard this before, there was uh, a severely vision-impaired person who came and was helped by his sister to touch the models that are on display. And I suppose as a consequence of being blind, your tactile feedback enables you to, in the mind's eye, spatially construct what you touch and feel. And by the time that this person who couldn't see anything else of the exhibition was literally guided by his sister to touch very carefully those models so that they won't break, he and she turned to me and said that he understood that that structure was completely unsustainable, uh, that that structure was structurally untenable. Uh, on the second night, there was a mother who came with a 12-year-old son as, I suppose, simply because, not he, not because he was interested in the exhibition, but I suppose she couldn't keep him at home. Well, whatever the case was, he was enthralled uh, in that uh, model, the 13th Amendment, and I caught him at a moment when he was envisioning the models to be what's called an FPS, a first-person shoot-em-up. So for those of you who've played these computer games, it's a bit like Doom or Castle Wolfenstein. So he imagined going through the corridors and shooting bad guys and you know, having uh, basically a computer game that enabled you to go through the corridors with guns blazing. And I caught him in that moment and I talked to him about the Constitution and he didn't understand, of course, he was 12 years old, he was going to a leading school in, in, in Colombo. And I related pa to his mother who wanted him to eat vegetables. Uh, and I said that you have rights and responsibilities just as much as you have to eat vegetables because you can't question your mother. And when we got talking, he said that one of the problems he has was his sister came in too much into his room. And he wanted the doors to be such that his parents could also be left out and shut out when the situation demanded, which I think was most of the time for him. So we talked about the ability for people to traverse corridors and open doors and the power to open doors and etc. And basically what I was talking about was executive power and the legislative power. And by the time he came here, he took a look at that building and said, that's very cool. That looks like Apple's new headquarters. And I said, fantastic, you imagine Apple's new headquarters over Amma's house. And he literally thought for a moment, and he said that that's not going to work, is it? I said, no, that's not going to work. So even he understood that the superstructure of the 18th Amendment as envisaged by Channa and researched by Asanga is completely untenable. And if you've gone through the exhibition, I also want to point your attention to that one error message in the corner, which I think is often missed and confuses the hell out of people. That error message is from a computer program called Autodesk Revit. Revit, I suppose, is for architects, what Microsoft Word is for the rest of us. Just as much as we use Word to create a document, architects would use Revit to create a building. That is an error message that is a consequence of Channa's team trying to build that building. The Revit program will give you an error if the structure you're trying to build is structurally unsound based on algorithmic analysis. It will tell you, for example, that it simply will not hold. The structure will not hold, and it will give a warning to the architect that this is something is dodgy here. Of course, it won't stop the architect from doing something very silly, but it will keep giving warning after warning after warning That's, that basically you are a you are idiot, you are idiotic if you want to continue. And so there is a computer program also telling you that that structure, though it looks aesthetically very, very pleasing, is structurally unsound. And in my, in my curator's uh, uh, tour, 
I also flag key elements of the design that reflect the power relations as well as we go through each section. Final point, we ran out of catalogs on, I think, the second or third day. We have got crowds that we didn't expect. There are new catalogs, uh, uh, a bunch of them around, so if you have friends who couldn't pick up a catalog, and certainly if you couldn't either, I highly recommend the catalog. It's also very beautifully done by Chandler's team. Uh, it's also online, but it does make a difference, I think, for my generation even to have something in print uh, in front of you. With that, I'm very, very pleased that uh, I am joined by Jagat, Gehan, and Gihan uh, uh, on the panel today. One of the things I've always endeavored to do is to shed light on issues that concern us through different perspectives, through lenses that people wouldn't automatically associate with a critique on that particular issue. When you talk about constitutionalism, for example, it is not often that you would think of looking at it through the perspective of arts and theater, uh, or the arts in, 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 in general. I did have another panelist today, Kaushalya, who is a renowned, renowned actor in the singular stage, simply because I think the singular stage and its critique of politics and political power throughout the years that I've seen uh, singular theater has been leaps and bounds ahead of English theater for whatever reason, and we were going to explore that. Unfortunately, Kush, uh, Kaushalya was taken uh, sick and had to be admitted to hospital about one and a half hours ago, so she won't be able to join us today, and I do wish her uh, well uh, and a speedy recovery. But we are joined by Gihan, who I first met in my office many moons ago when he came to me and uh, we talked about in his own right, the artistic critique as an architect that was subsequently exhibited at Columboscope. Uh, and he has done some very, very interesting work looking at, for example, London uh, through architecture and looking at social revolution and social upheaval uh, and the politics of resistance through some very interesting mapping work that he's done, maybe not related to the kind of stuff that is around us as well. Gehan, I've known also for a couple of years, and I think most of you would know him as a lawyer, but his interests in theater is what brings him, at least in my mind, to this stage. Most notably, uh, his review of a very, very popular and long-running series called Pusvedilla that was published on Ground Views, and I've quoted at length in the description of the panel as well. And the reason I wanted him to speak on is uh, whether sometimes art seeks to also pull wool over our eyes just as much as it can serve to be incisively uh, uh, critical. And that's also where Jagat comes into play. This is not the first time that I've invited Jagat. In fact, many uh, already about three years ago, I paired Jagat with Amina Hussein in a curated exhibition that I did at the invitation of Saskia Fernando that got Jagat to visually respond to the Islamophobia that Amina Hussein wrote in a short note. And the juxtaposition was incredibly powerful. Uh, and Jagat did some original art for that as well. So I have been extremely privileged to work with one of Sri Lanka's best known artists. And moreover, I think over time, uh, when you're growing up, you have these names and you look up to them and it's such a privilege and honor in a sense when you've grown up to call them 
up and then have a conversation about politics. So I've been, I've been blessed, as it were, to, 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 to have some of those discussions with Jagat over the years around pure politics and the politics of his art as, as art as well. Uh, the, the topic uh, uh, for the uh, presentation and the discussion today uh, and the subsequent discussion will be led by Gihan. As has always been the case, all the keynotes and panels will be recorded. So during the public Q&A, I urge you to please wait until you have a mic in hand before you submit your question or you give your comment. So with those introductory remarks, Again, thanking everybody for joining me uh, and being part of this exhibition, which is very, very close to my heart. Gihan, the floor is yours. Hello? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, actually, uh, what I want to discuss, firstly, there was a great talk by Channa uh, on Friday. Channa discussed about the uh, power of architecture, and he he showed uh, examples of um, um, architecture from uh, Greece, uh, the Parthenon, Pantheon in uh, Rome, uh, and even Paris. You know, Paris is, to a certain degree, is a design for military. So, uh, almost panoptism, in a way, people can, uh, the, uh, the, the army can look at the people, and if there's troubles, they can go and get them. So, his argument can be, you know, the, through empire, through uh, occupation, uh, uh, even certain regimes, great architecture has uh, evolved. Uh, when you walk around Colombo, there are great public spaces. Uh, there are great, one would call, pastiche colonial architecture. You know, behind such architecture, there's architect. And most architects, they are fully aware who are you working for, you know. Most of them profited by, you know. Uh, and it's, again, it's a propaganda for such regimes or garments. It doesn't matter if it's architecture, it can apply to your profession or your craft. Um, is it morally acceptable to accept commissions? If so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, what's your justification? I, I, I didn't think that you would start with such a difficult question. Is it morally or ethically? But you see, art and architecture works between aesthetics, ethics, and politics. And so that means, you know, commissions are part of it because it is between art, architecture, or even archaeology, history, or most of these disciplines that has a material product in the end, or they are dealing directly with material things, material products like architecture, archaeology, history. They work between these three, three domains, ethics, politi politics, and aesthetics. <coughs> so commissions are there. But so my question to you is, what is the point in raising that question? if the condition is that. Whatever the answer I give, it's not going to take us anything beyond that. Well. Uh, how do you justify it? I mean, okay, let me, let me put it to you this way. I would, uh, I would uh, accept commission, being an architect, you know. Uh, would you accept it? But I have my moral uh, way of justifying why I took it, why I take such commissions. 
you're a lawyer you i'm not an artist so i'm 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 going to listen to what you have to say and i'll comment on it um what i have to say is this um you know th- that question is interesting but it is not seeing a certain conditions of art production you see like well my art is being sold across the street at saskia fernando gallery and even my own students from this institute does not go to the saskia fernando gallery because the that architecture the kind of class aesthetics that elite aesthetics that gallery has is putting off certain kinds of people the very people about whom i paint the very people who i the very class from which i come so that's that's a certain ca- condition in the art mark art and knowledge production process because the top level knowledge is usually produced with big money at the biggest laboratories the top universities i give you one good example you know i was doing this work on called broken stupa and i'll show you images later on and who are you soldier these are very seriously important work in my career as an artist these were two questions that i tried to understand i'll talk about it later so one thing is broken stupa and the who are you soldier because i'm a buddhist and i'm a singalese so at one point i think everybody in the south um, in this country right now when you are in the world would try to understand who is a soldier or what is a soldier because it's such an idea that idea is so difficult to grasp but all those paintings and then the other one is the broken stupa you know in sri lanka you don't have broken stupas no they are either ruined or they are beautiful white so one night once when i did a broken stupa i was trying to say something but the point is they are now with big money they are i heard that one once a good friend of mine saw this who are you soldier um, hanging at jake hilton asked me how did that happen you know your your most radical paintings that is what happens to knowledge production it will always be de-radicalized for me that's a very int- i'll come to that that panel that depiction of of the thing of the of the building of the uh, you know mm-hmm. so you cannot justify it mm-hmm. or you cannot not justify it i mean like i think that's that is not a you that question if you raise that question you are not seeing the complexity of art production basically production of knowledge but for if you're working for I don't ask me that question i have no answer <laughs> yeah. what i'm saying is if you are, if you know knowingly you're working and profiting you know it's like propaganda for them that's what i'm just saying you know how i would justify it if i'm a, you know because if, if i have to do a project for a government i think i have to hire a lawyer now okay. i think you yeah. can answer that <laughs> yeah i mean my experience is in in ethics would be in terms of um, the legal profession um if someone has a client uh, comes up, up to you and and wants you to represent him uh, you immediately ask yourself the question are you uh, what are the ethical parameters within which this relationship can be governed but, but i hasten to add in the world of art uh, i would say that the parallels are slightly different uh because perhaps your creation uh sustains in ways that my submission in a court would not 
Um, so I would need to ask myself the question, what is the precedent I'm creating by representing somebody? And then apply my ethical compass or moral compass to that reality. And I, I suppose that, that is the same question the artist would ask. Uh, what am I leaving for future generations to see? And how am I contributing uh, to this agenda that uh, may or may not be moral? So that I suppose I would try to resolve it in those terms, but I have no answer to a question that I have no experience in. Have you, have you done commissions? I mean, not, not, not commissions. I mean, you, uh, you deal with plays. Have I refused clients? Yeah. Are, you, are you asking, have I refused yeah. clients? Um, I have not. I have not refused clients. But that, that is a convenient answer because I don't, uh, uh, I don't operate in the criminal justice world. And, and in that context, um, uh, you may not encounter the same ethical dilemmas that a criminal lawyer might. Um, my clients happen to be human rights victims, so it's an it's an easy place to be in terms of your 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 ethics. So I think I think it's a uh, it's not a fair question for me for you to ask uh, in terms of my, of my own experience because I think I've not encountered those same uh, ethical dilemmas. Can I can I also ask you that? Uh, of course, there's so many NGOs and human rights lawyers are fighting against the eviction up north. But there's on, almost only one happening in Colombo. Why is that? Why, why are you not, why, why is not your, your profession not involved here? I mean, I can't speak for my profession, um, and I didn't think I would have to <laughs> at this particular session. Uh, but you're right in terms of um, division of labor. There, is a, uh, there are some um, issues that are closer to home that are avoided. For example, domestic workers. How much of uh, rights-based, uh, Sanjana is coming and intervening here, I, I hope to save me. Uh, how much of um, um, rights-based uh, interventions are we uh, undertaking in terms of domestic workers when it's uh, an issue very close to home, whereas the more visible forms of rights violations are, are, are things that people are uh, I encourage you to take up. So I, I think there is a there is an element of hypocrisy. There's an element of uh, picking and choosing your issues. But again, I, I mean, I don't want to comment on it on behalf of the legal profession. Uh, I think uh, there's another statement or question uh, come out of this. Uh, place like Cusco uh, in uh, Peru, uh, before the Spanish came, uh, it was a thriving city. Spanish came and pretty much destroyed. Uh, the civilization, and they built one would call the New Jerusalem on top of it, you know. Um, and to a certain degree, it's, they cleanse the environment uh, uh, of the culture. There are situations like this happening here. I mean, uh, before or after the war. I mean, you probably can uh, discuss more. I mean, uh, I've just been reading. Uh, about archaeology, especially uh, places of one called archaeological reserve. I don't know how I pronounce this. Uh, Pashan Pabata Vihara? Pashan Pabata Vihara, that's uh, in the east. Yeah, and also in um, Arisamal, near. Yeah. I mean, if you yeah. can uh, probably uh, expand on the, what's, what's happened there, I mean. Uh, yeah, these are, these are stories. I mean, mm -hmm. These are stories. 
very clear facts, like, you know, this Pashana uh, Pabbata is an archaeological reserve. And soon after the war, it gets claimed by a young monk, not so young monk, and then he built a temple there, and then he has a shrine room, there's a Buddha statue, on top of the Buddha statue he puts, the, puts his weapon, T-56. You can see it if you go there, to, I'm going there next week and you can see it there. And in, this is, that's, that is not a story, this, this you can see. The, the other story is, what is that place? Uh, the other one is uh, Arisamale. Yeah. I mean, once again a monk goes. And that's a Muslim village. And those Muslim, during the war, these people in this village actually worked with the army and support the army in their intelligence and all that. But soon after the war, what happens is this monk goes and puts an ancient pillar somewhere and claims it to be an archaeological site and takes it in, into his temple. He builds a temple. So and he has a letter from, supposed to have a letter, from the Department of Archaeology. So, I mean, these are, you see, the buildings. Buildings are one way of claiming land. You either build new ones or claim, find, her, uh, find uh, evidence, find I mean, there was an artist from Red Dot Gallery I just saw uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I just forgot the name. He took pictures of Jaffna. Uh, all the land, uh, there's a signboard saying this land belongs to Sri Lankan army. Mm. You know. Uh, that, that was an um, uh, uh, artist from the Jaffna University, yeah. yeah. But uh, will you let me talk about why we do that kind of yeah. art. As an artist, I work in the, in the East, uh, in Kantele, Seruvilla, and Kenya right now, working with Sinhala, Muslim, and, and Tamil people there who have been there. Some of them have moved there in the 1950s. <coughs> and fortunately or unfortunately, I'm an artist. No, that is fortunately. Unfortunately or fortunately, I've been spending my past 30 years of my life with archaeologists. So I'm an officially an archaeologist. I'm the director of the Postgraduate Institute of Archaeology. That's the reason why I tell you all this. So I know how, how archaeology works, and I know how archaeologists think. They use buildings. They use these this materials. And my main specialization is heritage management. You know, that's a field where lots of fights, conflicts are going on. It is. Through, with the idea of heritage, you claim this or that in a particular landscape. It is through the idea of heritage, you claim your authentic right to a place. So, I have come to realize, Sanjana, if you want to think of future of Sri Lanka in terms of reconciliation, you just have to forget archaeology, forget history. Make it just academic disciplines, no social disciplines. The more you use it, the more you're running into problem. So in order to understand this, I'm doing this thing called the Grounded Memories, a project where we, we go to, well, go to Kantele and through a friend we meet someone. The very person you take his, the, the biography. And then plot his memories on the ground. The, the project is called Grounded Memories. You know, it has double meaning, either grounded or, you know, shut and closed and put somewhere. So, and then we make GPS positions to make it very scientific. 
So it can be plotted into the global map with the GPS position. And then you come to realize these, these Muslims and Tamils who have been come to this place, they are so embedded in that in that terrain. And those links are also extends to down to Colombo, Matara, Gaul, to Mecca, to, to Middle East and all that. You know, that truth, a lived social truth, is more important for us to think of future than archaeology and history. I mean, I don't know if you guys think of, well, I'm officially supposed to be very proud of history and archaeology because that's what pays my daily bread. But now I've come to realize it's a very real problem. Why do we want the idea of heritage in the first place? Why? Why is it so important? I think it's a trap. How to get out of it? So our art, when you're doing this, the interesting or the important thing is that I realize art becomes a genre of critique. It's not a, art is not a way you judge someone or crit, criticize someone or, you know, find, it's not a process of judging someone, but it's a process of engaging with someone. I'd like to show you, you, you can I have that image, Sanjana? The, two, the broken stupa. Or the, or this broken stupa. This I did in relation to 1983 experience, like, you know, in the south of Sri Lanka, we killed, displaced, like we did everything possible to hundreds, I mean, thousands of Tamils in, in, in the south of Sri Lanka, in Colombo. I saw them being killed and burnt and everything. And, but I also know none of my friends ever did that. And we kind of say, we protected Tamils in our, at home. I mean, we had Tamil friends. But then who did this? I'm, when I saw them being killed, I saw them being burnt. And so, so what that means, you know, there is, so in the end it becomes we did it. It's not that I, it's no, I personally did not do it, but we did it. But then in order to, when I said like we did it, I'm a singleist and a Buddhist, I thought like, you know, it's like breaking a stupa, an ideal. The point here is, you can also critique me, even though it is broken, still a stupa, it is still single a Buddhist. This is why I try to, you know, this is, because I am part of the system. When you, this liminal critique of a situation demands this. And you know, I, I like, if you allow me, I'd like to talk about this. You know, I, I have a very different reading of that thing, of which I love it very much, even though you... Because, so, still, uh, you know, and then if you go to Who Are You Soldier, the soldier, I mean, like, he has no identity here. You don't, I mean, it could be anyone, and you don't see his eyes and, and, and faces. You know, it's, but then you are, you are asking a question of something you cannot understand, and who are you, soldier? It is, when art is a genre of critique, it dwells in, in the zone of, liminal, you know, it's, it's, it is liminal. That means you try to, you have a longing to embrace the unknown, like that thing. When you embrace the unknown, you come, come with errors, error signals. Coming with error signals is a sign of, it's a health, healthy sign. None of, any of these plants, there are no error signals there. So that one is embracing, there's a longing to embrace the unknown. Then you are getting, this is what, I, this is what art can do as for me. You can take you to a liminal space between what you know and what you don't know, between that is when, when critique happening. So, so 
I think I, I made myself clear. I mean, legal, legal theorists also do this. I'll, I'll, I'll take my hat off as a lawyer. I'm not interested in being a lawyer today. Um, I'm just wondering whether I could make a couple of observations on, on what was just said. And I would make these observations in terms of looking at, at art not only as a form of critique, but as a form of resistance. Um, and I'm just wondering, as an artist, what you might have to say about my own observations. Uh, when you compare the situation prior to January 2015 and situation now, I suppose artists functioned within a narrow space uh, prior to the elections. Uh, and their resistance took a subversive form. Um, while my knowledge of, of your art and your genre of art might be limited, if you look at theater, um, some of the great political art emanating from, from the theater as a genre, um, you would, as a form of art, you would see productions like Bakamuna uh, Vidibasi, you would Paraya, uh, walking path, occupying this narrow space, but critiquing through subversive means. Uh, to an extent, you saw it in the cartoons. Uh, you saw it in uh, Tenu's installations. Uh, the space was narrow, but almost as a norm, as a discrete norm, you would adopt a subversive form of critiquing the status quo. Then, of course, as, as uh, Sanjana mentioned, uh, there was the exception to that norm, which was a more uh, overt, uh, almost a cooptive form of art that didn't necessarily critique the status quo, it actually provided a sort of opiate. And that was my discomfort with Pusvedila. I was very critical of Pusvedila because I, f I saw Pusvedila not as a form of sat satire, but rather as a form of uh, helping us deal with our current circumstances and diminishing and, and numbing the discomfort. Uh, and I was told that I was being unfair in my critique, but I stand by it. Now, if that is the exception and the norm in the pre-2015 era, what is the exception and the norm in the post-2015 January era? And I would say oh, there's been almost a role reversal. You have um, the norm really of having lots of space, broad space, Office of National Unity and Reconciliation convening artists to pick their brains and hear their ideas uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, that's great, and uh, I mean, that's something to celebrate. But at the same time, what of resistance? What has happened to art as a form of resistance even to this status quo? Are, are we now all co-opted? Are we all now performing in Pusvedila? Um, and of course, there are the exceptions, the, the uncomfortable pieces, like um, uh, Deshapir's, uh, uh, I, I forget the, the title of the piece, but it was uh, a film script that dealt with the uncomfortable material of uh, um, Richard de Souza's assassination. Uh, it wasn't banned by the Rajapaksas, it was banned by this government, uh, and was banned in March 2015. So that has now become the exception. So I'm wondering whether, I don't know, I'd, I'd like to hear what you might have to say on this. I'm wondering whether it's not a question of the extent of the space, it's really how you exploit whatever space you have and how, how do artists now deal with this new dispensation? Well, um, <laughs> Gihan. 
Gihan, you know, where I think about this in art of protest and art of resistance, I mean, they are very fine ways. You know, those are ways that you negotiate with, with, with a certain condition. But for me, that's not my, I, I don't do that kind of art, you know, because I don't believe in that kind of art as a real challenge to status quo, because I think it, it works within the, the, the system. It's like the position and the opposition. As you know, the position creates the opposition and the opposition creates the position. You know, this is what, you know, like, but rather I like that kind of work or the kind of artwork because, you see, when I teach my students at the university, you know, these students think that they are the working class. They are not once you are in the university. They are not belonging to working class. They are part of, part of this, you know, the ruling class that is going to emerge in the future. That's what we are training them for, like, you know. That's why they are, from the very first year, they have no problem of, you know, coming and banging on vice chancellor's door and have a placard and say, this is how you should be running it. Like, no. So they're not working class anymore. They, uh, but the problem is uh, no, that... Uh, let, let me finish it. Yeah, but sorry. I'm saying, like, you know, the protest, uh, art of resistance, very important. But they are not actually questioning the status quo as such, in the way I see. It's a different kind of art that changes, that gives rise to transformative politics. This is, you know, that's when art becomes, uh, as a genre of critique, they're working in a liminal space. Because I'm an artist, I'm, I'm a beneficiary of this late capitalist system. You know, this is what I'm saying, like, you know, how, and I have this art, Collect, as collective, Thirty International Artist Collective. We do things in Bericolo and these things, you know, but we are being funded by Hevos and Ford Foundation. And look at the world, the ISIS problem and all, all, the, all these things. And these countries are also involved in this politics. And the money I get is not that innocent. And my freedom is, is also a result of global capitalism in the end. You see what I mean? Like, so. It's, it's, it is, uh, the art of protest wouldn't, resistance, I, you know, we did that, you know, artists against war, artists for peace, and, you know, Tenu's work, and they're all wonderful, fine. But I think, right now, I mean, if, I, mean I didn't know about this ex uh, example, you just, you know, so what it shows us, it shows us it's the system that, that's a problem. It's not X, O, Y, or Z. So, what kind of art would address, okay, what, could, what kind of art would give rise to transformative politics? Sorry, Gihan. Uh, uh, what I'm trying to say is that um, I don't think art is uh, liberal here, democratic here. It's almost exclusive, you know, especially contemporary art. Uh, I am, as an observer, I'm just saying I've been here last three years. Um, I don't know if this is correct or not. What I see here is it's uh, people are, almost discouraged to be independent. You know, maybe politicians now are having a hard time. You know, people are, you know, uh, you know, questioning them. But when you are, you know, when I teach here, um, they're not encouraged to think independently or abstract thinking, uh, you know, almost not to question authority. Question, they don't question me. That's quite worrying to me. They don't question about religion. I don't even go there here. You know, so, and as you said, you know, even um, 
when I spoke to students here, they said, you know, when they go to school, you know, after school, they go to this class, that class, there's so much pressure on them. And if they don't pass, if they don't get into one would call certain universities, they almost feel like an utter failure. And sometimes, many cases, students tell me they don't, the parents even don't talk to them. You know. So modern contemporary art is about questioning and challenging the one we call the status quo. How can it be? You know, you know, when the society or the culture, and maybe I'm wrong, this is what I see last three years living here. People are not almost encouraged, the culture doesn't encourage people to be independent. You know, when I came here, first uh, three months, I stayed with my parents. It was like a nightmare, I felt like I was seven years old. You know, they're not given the, you know, I was not given the freedom. I mean, uh, a teenager here, when you compare a teenager here and European country, a teenager in European country probably brand their room. They're, they're almost given space to be independent. They might stick posters. Even in front of a door, they said no, ent no entrance. So parents might knock on the door, give that kind of a, a space for them. Here it's, you know, as you said, anyone can walk in. I don't know what... Uh, yeah. huh? Well, that's, that's, that's the way it is. Like, you know, as a male, you know, male child, we are allowed to play everywhere on the table, under the table, in the kitchen, in the front door, in the veranda, everywhere. But while my sister would play only in, in a particular place. And when I go to the university, I think I can put a poster there or here or wherever. I mean, as this, well, Gehan, uh, Gehan. It's a cultural problem in this country, the way that we raise sons. They are bastards. They are real pricks, no? The way we, we, we train our boys here, like, you know, they have no sense of space. Maybe you Responsible should... sense of space. Yeah. And you know, I've been in this university. I'm a product of, of the school, of, the, of this university. And, and I've been teaching the institute you know, for the past 30 years. I'm, I'm still in the university. I, until I die, I, until I retire, I would be part of a university. And our boys don't know, no idea of, of space in terms of ethics and politics and responsibility. Um, but, but that's our condition. And this is why I say, like, you know, and, 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 and our... Well, you see, like, you know, contemporary art is very exclusive, and, yeah, it is only for only certain people do, and, uh, like, you know, my, most of my students will not understand this as art. But I, I really want to talk about this work at some okay. point. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the, the people around here, what I see, I see them probably in Barefoot, uh, Columbuscope, Gold, Literally Festival. It's, it's, you know, it's yeah, not it's really normal Sri Lankans. Elite people yeah. like we are. So <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh, my, my question is because, give, you know, like, is it going to stay exclusive? How, how, you know, why not make this, you know, when I first came here, to be honest, I didn't understand what's happening here before you... Uh, uh, gave a guided tour. Then I understood the whole concept of this, you know, and I teach architecture, you know. So how can a normal person, a tuk-tuk driver, come and understand this? And this is in English. Hold on a second. Yeah. The condition is not, not that bleak. You see, my parents did, I mean, my dad did, did speak English. My mother, no English. She didn't go beyond grade eight. And I went to Vidyakar Vidyalaya in Maharagama and then to this Real Rastiyadukaru school, Yesipatana Mahavidyale, and then this bloody institute here. I'm a product of this system. But I think I'm a little different. So, 
we do produce people within the system. Of course, then I had my education in the States, but that's only for four years. Most of the things that I, I talk, my thinking is coming from, from this background. So, Gihan, it's not that bleak. Yeah, I also disagree with you, Gihan. I, I think uh, art in Sri Lanka uh, has been accessible. Um, and I don't think we can limit ourselves to uh, a particular form of art that perhaps the Colombo English-speaking elites might have access to. The rest of it is quite accessible. You look at uh, Tenu's uh, installations, I wouldn't say it's inaccessible. I would look at singular theatre and say, as, as Sanjay quite rightly pointed out, eons ahead of English theatre. So I think there is uh, perhaps uh, art that we're just not discussing here. Um, and that's our problem. That's not the problem in terms of the art. It, it's obvious that we are, uh, you know, close in terms of what we are accessing. And that there's a whole world of art that is incredibly powerful and I would call the, the crux of the resistance art that we have in Sri Lanka. Uh, so I think, uh, I think that's, it's just a question of bridging those, ga those, 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 those gaps. The problem in art or in, in our the, the thinking world is that we don't frame the inconvenient because as far as, as the way I understand is, we are part of that inconvenient problem. When I say that I'm, I'm a product of this system, um, uh, whatever I, I try to, to, however I try to understand problems in the society as such, on the street, I'm part of this system. You see, like, you know, no one can, I don't, no one can, no artist, I mean, the problem with Sri Lankan art at popular level, when they come to take social issues into, into as their subject matter, the artist think that he's above the problem and the, he knows what it is they like. But if you take real good serious art like, say, Purasandha Kaluvara or Meparen N, I think Meparen is a, such a liminal, it's aesthetics is so liminal, it's bit, it, 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 it shifts between ethics, politics and aesthetics. Very beautiful, you know, if you have not seen it, you must see it. It's such a good, uh, good film. It doesn't judge anything, but at the same time, it, it engages with everything. So my problem when it comes to Sri Lankan contemporary art is, you know, it, it is very reluctant to frame the, uh, um, this is uh, Sanjana's words, Framing the inconvenient, like that work. Sanjan is very upset because he's got an error message. That's exactly what it makes the point. You, when you do a certain kind of art, you keep getting the error message. I've been always attacked. You know, your art is not, you, you're still a Sinhala and a Buddhist. As if I can have, have a divine uh, bird's eye into my own self, which I cannot. You see, like, you know, well, we are a product of the, of the system. I'm not escaping from my responsibility, though. Anyway. I mean, I have a question for you, and I, I spoke about resistance, and we often think of resistance as political resistance, and we, we think of art as resisting the political status quo. And often when we feel that we have now overcome that status quo and, uh, you know, created a new dispensation for us and now the, the regime is better than, or the government is better than the previous government, etc., etc. Um, are there other 
forms of resistance that artists should start thinking about? Is it resisting global consumerism? Is it resisting um, patriarchal structures? Uh, I mean, are there new opportunities for artists to, to start thinking about and exploit? Gihan. Yeah. So difficult. The other Gihan. Why didn't you have Gihan and Gihan? <laughs> Gihan, I don't know about opportunities, but one thing about one thing very basic about any artist is creating opportunities where it does not exist. So there are different forms of, of, of resistance. That is the way you teach art. Yeah. I mean like, you know, this work is light years away from what is being taught there. So the first point of resistance for the status quo is teaching a different kind of art that is like in the kind of art that we teach them is to how to create these fetish objects that can hang on walls or you know like you know that's also good art and people need these things you know pleasurable objects but at the same time to think differently you know this guy so you know, at the international level not we, we it, what is art education is a major serious question no it, it's deeply discussed how do artists do do and is art research and how do you train someone to be an artist today? It's a very different question. You know, it's, it's very... So, forms of resistance, are there are so many forms of resistance. Yeah. The place you show, where do you show your work? Like, you know, I'm so, you know, like, I have no right, I, I have no right to talk. I, I show, I present my work only at Saskia Fernando Gallery and Theatre Redwood Gallery. Saskia Fernando Gallery is for a different class and the Theatre Redwood Gallery, uh, it's come really, you know, you guys don't come there and, you know, only students come there. And then, yeah, changing the place where you show is a way of resistance. It's not only the government, it's also, yeah, your question is very right, the opportunities you have to create. But I tell you, this coming of this government has given an opportunity, a wide opportunity. Isn't that so, Manika? We had our performance art festival, in Borala, <laughs> see, um, this is, I'm, I'm going to share this with you. We had this performance art festival <coughs> called Borders and Lines. It was questioning borders created. And there were this uh, Pakistani artist in her 70s, and uh, no, Australian artist and a Pakistani young artist. They were having this, they were not meant to be halos, but they had this light thing going on, and they were going through. This thing, and there was this other very beautiful uh, Sri Lankan uh, woman artist. She was acting like that, you know, uh, like a prostitute. She was giving and has, has a bag. And if someone looks at her, a, a man, way too much, she will engage, you know, get him into discussion and say, oh, So you think I don't, you know, I'm not dressed properly, so, so why don't you take my bag and let, why don't you dress me? So, and then the people go to police against these two. One, because it's an insult, that halo light thing is an insult to Buddhism. The other one, you know, that's not the way the ladies are supposed to wear and that. But you know who defended us? The police. They said, but had it been before January 8th, we would have been in a very different, difficult situation. Of course, the change of government did provide me, um, like, you know, us, an opportunity to do things that 
you know, Sanjay, no? It would have been you know, very difficult. Like, you know, those Pakistani, those international artists would have been deported right away. You know what happened to that woman who had a tattoo? You know, you know, she was deported and all this, you know, would have happened, but it didn't happen. And when I argued with, when we argued with them, the police agreed on that. Like, you know, you also have a right to say, like, you know, I say, I'm a single and a Buddhist, I know Buddhism, like, you know, this, this, that. And actually these ladies are showing, if you guys are so devoted to Buddhism, and why do you use this, this uh, party lights that is everywhere, also onto the Buddhist, you know, Buddha statue, whatever. <coughs> anyway, of course, there are opportunities. I should say that, you know, yeah. Has the college life changed? How you teach? Because... Uh, not, not yet. Uh -huh. Take a while. You know, universities? Yeah. Jesus, you don't know. Yeah. Our universities like, like yeah. the schools that Rip, Rip Van Winkle, no? They don't change. Our universities, Jesus. Our universities, you cannot change them. They are so bogged backward. They are, I don't know where they are. I'm a university professor. Like, you know, but no, when we, it comes to medicine, architecture, I think law, because our bridges don't collapse. There are not too many patients die. I think they are all right. But when it comes to visual arts, humanities and social sciences, we are lost. We are kaput. We are gone. We don't do it right. We are part of the problem. Because we are not giving rise to that critical thinking mass in this society. When it comes to IT and all that, I think they are all fine. They are all covered, but we are all fucked. I think it's similar in Nagarich as well here, you know, uh, it's still um, some people say they teach uh, what they taught uh, 40 years ago, uh, same kind of methods and almost uh, very, very difficult to resist. I mean, you can ask, there are a couple of tutors are here who teach uh, certain institutions, you know, it's difficult to change. You have no, but, but then again, he, he was, Andres. no, but he, he was taught, uh, he studied in UK. Okay. No, I mean, most of this kind of thinking is done, yeah. being taught in UK. I mean, uh, shall we ask some questions from the audience if they're... Look, give okay? me a, just okay. one minute. I'm, I'm fascinated by this, this show. Uh, uh, simply, I'm fascinated by this. So simply because it's, it's liminality. It's, it, is, it, it is art as a genre of critique. You see, like, if you come, Go through these panels. You know, I did not read your, your essay. But what you see is in that building, it, it is, in a way, it is rooted in, in the past. You don't have the Candian kind of roof or whatever they are. So it, it, in a way, it has everything to do with the past. But at the same time, it has nothing to do with it. Because if you follow the plan, that plan is still there. But this gives a kind of a technical, industrial aesthetics are there. And it is circle. It, 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 it is circular. And it's more open. I, mean, I see, because I'm I'm, I've been corrupted by archaeologists. I look at the plan. I look at the material. When you read the materials used in that, this amendment is not going to be that bad. It can, it is, you know, this work, if I read what you try to read into it about the, whatever that amendment, I'm very, 18th amendment, what you're actually telling me, you know, also the possibilities that it can have. Because it is giving you error messages. An error message does not mean it is wrong. It's only an error message. It's liminal, because look at, you know, in one, and, and when you go into that, 
you will be experiencing that plan. And that plan is part of the history of the, these things. And, and before this building, you had a, a candy or, or Candian kind of or Bawa kind of roof. See, so all these things are in here, and there is more than that which is the unknown. Because I read, if you read, only look at the plan, the materials, what you read is not exactly this bleak thing. It is more concrete than that. It is. It, it looks for me. It looks like an, a longing to embrace the unknown. Because the unknown is always rooted on something known, which is the plan of this building. And that plan is there, no, underneath. Anyway, that's how I read it. And that's why I felt in love with the show. Thanks. Shall we ask the audience some questions? <laughs> yeah. I, I can also ask a question from Gihan. Sure. The idea of justice. What is the idea of justice in this kind of work? Or in my uh, broken stupa? Or in the question, who are you, soldier? Because these are no, all the non-questions that does not judge something, that does not judge what is questioned, has an idea of justice about it. I'm saying this because, uh, you know, I think Sri Lanka, you know, like, you know, Art as a genre of critic is very important for legal practice to understand what is justice. I mean, your justice, of course, you know, but you know, there are other kind, forms of justice. When you ask, uh, like, you know, you get one of my, 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 my. I think I get what you're saying. I mean, I would look at art in that context as both a form of instigation or inspiration as well as a form that resonates with people. So you see a a particular production or a piece of art and it resonates with something that you are also going through. So in that context, art can represent elements of justice. But I would also say that art should instigate reflection, thought on your status quo, on your situation, and perhaps inspire uh, a demand for justice. Um, it need not be overt. Uh, and that's why in, in the past, art has been subversive. Uh, when I watch uh, um, Paria, for example, it, it captured me because it, its form was to have the audience and the players or the, 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 um, um, the dramatist, that line to be blurred. And we were participants in what was going on in those scenes. And that in itself portrayed the collusion that myself and my society and my class were guilty of in terms of the situation that we found ourselves in at that time. And that was enormously powerful and it instigated a, a, a thought process. And for others, it may have instigated or inspired a thought process that was more resonant, where they, they see their situation being portrayed by the art. So I think there is, there is a lot of scope for art to, to, to focus on ju justice themes in that sense. Shall we ask some questions from the audience? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Any questions? Has the audience seen this Mepar in, in a film? I think that's a, because the moment I saw this work, I also thought of that film, 
හඳකම මේ පාරෙන් එන්න and පුරසන්දකලුවර you know there are so many errors in pursandakarula film you know you know if you really critically look at it there are errors in that film because it's it's it it is um, it's very problematic in certain aspects because it kind of upheld this man who's blind but who can see when it's going to rain he doesn't want to believe that his son is dead the soldiers soldiers it's kind of giving you the soldiers don't die yeah they go to heaven but then the people who are really trying hard to live get kind of you know the uh, black mark on the film and the, the, in the end you see the in the film this old man is looking there is golden sunlight come and the future of the world like playing in the river these are very problematic scenes but it gives a certain sense of a different kind of justice about the whole crisis see so no good art is without errors one good thing about good art is its liminality it will always keep will co- uh, take you into the errors that it creates sorry way too much so can i ask jagat the question about this liminality and error business right so you're using quite uh, sort of difficult terms i think uh, and i'm i'm trying to see whether whether that matches whether i can use other words and how you'd map them onto that so i know this that gehan used the word resistance and you were trying to argue that liminality and error is a way of broadening the concept of art um because i don't quite understand what you mean by liminality and error i always thought that well i like art because it changes my perspective it makes me see in a way that i didn't see before i was confronted uh, that can happen through uh, and that happens best when it is inarticulate in some way when it's when it gets behind the defenses i have the, you know it's not talking in words it's use, using some other means to get to me because i'm used to words i'm used to you know conversation and 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 those that that kind that's dialogue but uh, but somehow it can create dissonance but ultimately it's this switch in perspective right so you do understand what's liminality so that's, that's what, what i'm asking is. is that what you mean that is by what that? it is you know yeah, you yeah, yeah. see like you know it's it's a becoming process yeah. uh, well you know the guy who used this word at a you know big level is jean luc nancy is a philosopher his his argument is about you know the singular in plural that you know my singularity is a result of a certain plurality when i said i'm sick of these people you can say that because you are part of that people because if not how do you know that these people you know these people you have been part of that but so your singular identity is is constructed by this plurality so that we cannot say you know you are not out of out out of this 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 plural situation you know exactly where you that like you know it helps you to so the artwork that helps you to articulate thought that you did not know that they were in you that is the kind of work is a work when it is in you know like you know this work has has spoken to me in a very different way and and the, the at the same time it's not totally different from what sanjana is saying that is also the truth even though he sees it in a bit of a negative edge but i while i don't see it but it comes the same thing in the end so liminality is like a becoming process you are getting into a situation to a relationship to an affair you know to to do a painting 
It's like, you know, the, you paint the painting and the painting paints you like situation. So it is, it's, it will transform you as well. So it is like, you know this experience, no? Embracing the unknown. When you have that longing to embrace the unknown, you put yourself in the, a very liminal space. Because you are on a position which is known to you, that's why you think, you can think of an unknown thing. I'm thinking of you have to stand. So then you are pushing yourself into that. The very way that you, you explained your problem is a liminal way. But if I say that, you know, the prob if I paint, do an artwork, show okay, the problem is, is, uh, uh, is that Al-Qaeda is the problem in the world. That doesn't, ex you know, it is not a liminal statement. Now you can do paintings to that. That doesn't make sense in the end. It's a, this is a protest work. Or not pro even protest, like, you know, it doesn't make sense in the end. It, it, it doesn't explain anything. It, it can only describe a situation. Anyway. Sorry. I have two questions actually. First one is for Jagat. Uh, I mean, I can understand why people, your students wouldn't go to Saskia Fernando Gallery, but I don't understand why they are not here. And I mean, they're just across yeah. the wall, on the other side of the wall. Yeah. And yeah. why aren't they here? In this hall, listening mm. to us or you? Yeah, yeah, that's a. You see, we have one of the teachers who is teaching them their art history. We have been discussing the why are they not coming actually? I mean, say, even for this, I would excuse them because we are doing this in English. But even when we had Colombo Art Biennale here, Colombo Art Biennale last, I mean, they did not come. Most of them did not come. Only very few. I mean, yeah, this is a, there's a problem. The serious problem we have. Sure. I have no answer. And, and the next one is to Mr. Lawyer. I'm sorry, I didn't get your name. Uh, uh, I presume you're a lawyer. Uh, Gehan. Gehan. Uh, I mean, you, you, you kind of, uh, I think what you, what you said was, Puswadilla uh, was kind of a form of a release, uh, very safe form of release in a sort of so relatively hostile environment. And uh, now, I mean, every, every, every democratic government needs some sort of evil for it to function. And I didn't know about this Richard story you just mentioned. And what do you think is the next evil that this current regime is going to invent out of our democratic system for their, you know, survival? I don't know. Uh, I don't have an answer to that question. And um, honestly, I don't see, uh, and this is my personal opinion, I don't see massive changes uh, since January 2015. I mean, I, I do see changes in the level of sophistication. Uh, I see changes in the, in the way in which uh, views are communicated. I, I see uh, space opening up, but I, I don't see the actors changing. I mean, look at some of the examples, look at militarization. Uh, how, how different is the military since uh, January 2015? Uh, I don't think it is dramatically being overhauled. There, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, so I think if we're, if we're going back to the subject of art and resistance, I think artists should continue to see uh, their situation in, in its true light. Uh, 
uh, and not get carried away. That's the point I was trying to make. Not get carried away with the, the newfound space uh, that they've been given. I think it's something to celebrate, but certainly not something to get carried away with and, and be ultimately co-opted where then the norm becomes co-option rather than the exception. Does that answer your question? I mean, I, I really don't know what new evils lie ahead. I mean, I'm not, I'm not much of a conspiracy theorist. So, no, no, uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's not a conspiracy theory. I mean, if you, if you look at a, a, any, any government, you kind of need a reason to, in a way, to keep your troops on alert or you have to, to, to carry guns. I mean, only a government gets a license to carry guns legally. As far as I know, the, the current government's boogeyman is the previous government. Sorry? <laughs> the current government's boogeyman is, is the previous government. It's no, I mean, it's yeah, so, so, so that's the evil that they will create in order to sustain themselves. They'll tell you, you need to vote for us, you need to support for, us, for, because if you don't, Mahindra Rajapaksa will come back. So it, I, I think it, that yes, might but, be the way to think about it. But how, how long, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Prasad. Uh, 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 how, for how long can they, you know, capitalize on the previous government uh, to, for their survival? I'm sorry, sir, I, I have no answer to that question. I mean, I can see the situation now as, as a situation where we're told that the previous regime can come back and we need to be careful about how we criticize the current government and that's, that's a pragmatic argument to make and I, I, don't, I, don't, I see a value in that argument. But that is the evil or that is the boogeyman that has been conceptualized and, 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 and presented to the people. Uh, and I think that's something that we could critique in itself, uh, and that may be the opportunity that artists uh, should seize. Can I? I think, Prasad, your question uh, is interesting, but even more interesting is the way you, you, you framed your question. You asked who would be, oh, you used the word, what would be the next enemy or whatever that they would create, you know? Didn't you ask? You I said even, invent. Even, yeah. eh? invent. I said invent. Invent, very good, invent. That's even more interesting. And then you're sitting like the boogeyman, like, you know, this government. This is exactly what art has to, to prevent, art has to avoid. That's where you need art as a liminal, uh, you know, a genre, liminal critic. Because we have made the Rajpaksa regime and Mahindra Rajpaksa as major icons against which everything is defined now. We try not to be that icon. But who did that? It is the very opposition that made that position of the Rajpaksa regime. Like, you know, it also created a regime, an image of Rajpaksas, which is also loved and hated and said that's very essence of an icon. That's what you have given rise. And art also did contribute to that. You have to, I mean, my, this is where art has to be a genre of, of critic that takes liminality as an approach. I don't want to hog the mic, but if there's anybody else with a question, I'm happy to pass it on. Uh, Jagat, just my question fits very nicely to what you were saying. You know, so if you look at paintings that Napoleon commissions wherever he goes, you can see that the art works as propaganda, yeah. uh, often. So do we not call it art? Like, I'm asking you very basic questions. Sorry that I'm not an artist and, you know. Uh, but but this, uh, do we say when, uh, so Mahindra Rajapaksa's image is built on songs, on, on, on films. Um, 
So it, your definition of art doesn't encompass that kind of activity. No, I do. I do encompass them. Uh, but uh, you know, not, or do you, or how? It's not art as a genre of critique. To that level, it doesn't come in. But they are still art, no? That's that's my question. So yeah, how, you know, art. when yes, do yes. I? But I I tend to go away and say that's propaganda and this is art. For me, art has to change something about the way I see the world. But I suppose they're doing that in a in a way that serves power. I think Gehan's. I think the way Gehan is framing is when art works to somehow challenge power or existing structures of power. Uh, but art can, the liminality at least approach you're saying, can work both ways. Art can serve to entrench the, and, and support structures of power, or, or, which is not but wrong. Yeah, I like that how Prasad framed this question invent and you are this thing like you know the icons are not only made by praising icons are not only made by praising them they are also made by attacking so an icon gets stronger when icon is sing, uh, you know taken as a single existence and attacked and praised to it like you know some of the our artworks did that i, I think you know pusvedil i have not seen it maybe pusvedil did it or whatever like you know but they are still art like you know that's also a more, you know, a way, uh, an area, a terrain of resistance, where you resist, like, you know, not try to monopolize your definition of art. That's also art, of course. That has a right to be, and that you can, we can theorize that as well. You can take it very serious, like, you know, we at Tirtha, it's one of our jobs, like, take these things, like the comic stories, and they, we take them as serious art and try to understand them, but they do, like, you know, posters and everything. Anyway, so they are all art, yeah. Um, you said that uh, those students over there, they haven't come here. Uh, they might have thought that uh, critici criticizing the last four or five governments, uh, they don't agree with that. Uh, that may be the reason. Or the message that uh, that could have been, or that would have been sent out uh, from ground views or from the curator to those people, they wouldn't have liked it or something like that. I can give you a, uh, I can, I'll give you a little extended answer to that, piece, but it is not a very pleasant answer. One thing is, people are coming to do art here; they're not coming to do, here to to study art, they're coming here to get a qualification. It's an economic reason, rather than pursued and pushed by an intellectual curiosity or whatever. So that is one reason why they're not coming here. Second, the kind of art, the kind of academic culture next door is very different to, to, to here. So these are not the kind of values that has been inculcated behind this wall. Thirdly, is um, personal politics of of individuals, like everywhere else. Like, you know, they would not encourage their students to come to this kind of art because this is not their kind of art. This is why I said, like, you know, oh, these are all forms of art. So, but, but there are teachers who hate this kind of art. I mean, who hate my kind of art? Who hate, you know? <laughs> so, these are the three reasons. But then the very few who are interested will always find their way. They always come here. So it is not that they do not come, but it is only very few 
people who are seriously interested. Maybe uh, we as teachers, maybe we should push them. Tell them to come here and then, you know, have a look and understand. This is like a different way of approaching art, questioning art. Yeah, you're absolutely true. Like, you know, now we are actually coming into a different problem in the society. Since I'm the head of an institution, I go to these meetings with vice-chancellors, the education minister and all that. What I hear always from university academics, especially from humanities, social sciences and fine arts, is like, you know, unlike medicine or engineering, they get the best students and we get the weak ones, which is wrong, which is total bullshit. The fault is with, as he suggested, is with the, the teachers, the professors. We are the problem in the university system, not the students. We don't do our job. That's one. But on top of that, you still have that thing. There, there is a certain percentage of students who are just coming to get a degree and go. Well, that is common. That's everywhere in the world, I guess. Yeah, but I think we cannot go into that. It's, it's a very Sanjana, have another show. We'll talk about the education problem in the country and higher education. Okay. I have a question for you, Jagat. Uh, you said that this structure uh, is something positive yeah. uh, and you, you derived a different meaning to the, the meaning, I think, of the, the, uh, the, the architect and, the, and, and certainly Asanga's take on it. Um, and it reminded I, me of the Beijing's, I, it, that thing reminded me of the idea of, that, of Beijing's uh, Olympic sure, bird sure, nesting. Sure, sure, sure. See, Beijing festival, I mean, I keep teaching, mentioning this in to my students as well. If you had seen the Beijing, New York opening day thing, you see it had everything to do with the history of China, but at the same time it had everything to do with the future of China. Like it did not try to be something that is totally rooted in the past. So, so your, your observation is more in terms of the aesthetics of the piece or is it in terms aesthetic. of… Also it has some very modern aesthetics. Right. There's an right. industrial aspect. Sure, sure. At sure. the same time, it has a… because mm -hmm. it's a dome kind of thing, the circle thing, it has a certain religious aspect. And it has… it does not remind me of Kandy or no Anuradhapur or anything. But if you uh, spend more time in it, you will begin to realize its plan is very ancient or very Sri Lankan traditional. And it also ha has this… because of these arms coming around, it, it gives a very different mood than the first two. While the first two has this very solid presence and this gives as more openings like. So you so said that… I saw it as, as a, something positive. You said that the error message… Error positive, yeah. or, or something… something that you new, can… Yeah, okay, you're not going to commit to a, yeah, I, a, yeah. a, a position. So the error message was something that you, you, you didn't see as negative. Yeah, no, right? no, I don't see error message as negative. Sure, uh, sure. I so I, I was actually reflecting on that and, and perhaps the audience also can, and can weigh in. The 18th Amendment uh, has a positive dimension to it in, in the sense from a historical political point of view, the 18th Amendment was where we located our problems. And the, the 18th <laughs> Amendment was probably one of the reasons that set the, the, you know, the, the stage for the regime to ultimately change. Uh, it, it, uh, it accentuated the problems of that previous regime 
because we were now, as critiques of that regime, were able to actually locate the problem in this amendment. So in a sense, though the structure is, is unsustainable, the unsustainability of the structure also uh, created a new possibility in terms of regime change. Is that a sort yeah, of interpretation that's exactly that, yeah. That's okay. exactly what it, the, there's a possibility for the, okay, there's a longing to embrace the unknown there. You see, I must, I'm embarrassed to tell you, I know nothing about this amendment. I'm, I'm so stupid when it comes to these things. I don't read newspapers, I don't watch TV, I know nothing about these things, to be honest. Even when I, well, not really, I know a bit, but you know, I don't, take much time reading it. Like I know there's this bloody thing going on about oh, Office of the Human Rights Commission, blah, blah, blah. the papers are full of it. Beyond headlines, I don't go. I mean, that's my problem. Well, I will, but how I read it, that is just the form, the plan, like an how an archaeologist would, would read it. How an artist take it as a form. If it's just a form, what does it tell me? If it's a form, it, it says that it, it's like an octopus, no? It has all these things, but then that octopus arms are like very industrial. And then they, it begins with a circle and ends with squares. Those are not even rectangles, no, those are squares, most of them. You see, like, there are, you know, if, if you just read it as a form, the materiality of it, they, and then you put that materiality to the temporality of the idea, it, it tells something, some possibilities. So that maybe what the amendment is going to be in the end, because this was made with that thing in the back of your minds, no, Sanjana? Jagat, <laughs> uh, I'm just wondering, how do you paint this? How do you interpret I, this? I actually huh? thought about it. I actually thought about it. How, I, how if I was someone, okay. If I were part of, the, you know, I felt very envious of, I felt, I felt <laughs> envious of the project. Like, I thought if I were, Channa is a good friend of mine, and sometimes good friends forget, you know, and Sanjana is a good friend of mine. I said, what if I were part of the team? What would I have done? You know, paintings are very limited when it comes, and it will be very abstract. Nobody will understand it. <laughs> but this, if you take time to read the temporality and the materiality of the thing, then it gives you, it, it has its own story to tell you. I mean, if you take a plan, for example, plan uh, is an architectural device. It tells, uh, for example, I mean, it will tell you where the doors are, where the windows are, the heights are. If you draw a plan of this room, it doesn't tell you what you're feeling at present. What's the temperature of the room? What's the emotional condition? You know, it'd be interesting to do a series of drawing of what's the next step. I mean, uh, it seems quite sterile, although it's, uh, it is a powerful object. It'd be nice to, uh, through your painting, um, show that kind of aspect, or, I mean, I don't know how you, how you would do it, that's, that's one of the things. If you have a, you know, if I have a, not a critic, but mm. a negative thing, it's, it's, it's a very introverted uh, thing mm. in its own way because it's not ready to give up anything. It, it has that egg-like thing that it had at the beginning, it still has it. It has everything from it, like it has that very introverted, it's kind of clinging into certain things. That is the, like, you know, anyway, I shouldn't be talking much about the, <laughs> this thing. Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating because uh, it offers a new dimension and perspective and far be it for me to claim ownership over interpretation. 
let a thousand interpretations bloom. Uh, it's interesting, though, that it has both resonates with and also very seriously diverges with some of the intent uh, in the creation of it, which I also talk through in the, in the tour. Uh, and it's also been very interesting to hear you, Jagat, because it resonates with some of the discussions that we had with Channa as well, creating that and Gehan, you know. I think we come from a perspective that sees it in a manner that we would see it as. And I think what's quite refreshing is to just listen to this different perspective, even if it is slightly strange and curious. Actually, the question Gehana has was for you. Um, just as much as it was asked of Jagat why his students don't come from next door, I was also very, I must confess that I was am unsurprised, but also enduringly curious as to why the legal profession would not want to come here and engage with this kind of uh, whatever you want to call it, critique or art or, or certainly idea at the end of the day. Uh, I would see this as uh, a space of ideas. I mean, I don't necessarily see this as art. And um, if we are going to go into a process through which ideas are going to be discussed and debated hotly uh, in this country, as to what the future of the country is going to be. I was wondering, Gehan, where, I'm very sorry to do this because I'm essentializing you as an individual into the larger profession, but it's just a more general question around what are the intersections between, because I think you're uniquely qualified to do this. I can't ask this question of many other lawyers that I know of. What are the intersections of art and the, um, the legality of constitutionalism, if I might put it bluntly? because we are going to go into a historical juncture and a moment where we haven't seen this kind of nexus, uh, certainly in our lifetimes. Uh, and if this is a once in a lifetime process, then what are the intersections? And Jagat, reciprocally, I wonder whether you as an artist have some thoughts on this new chapter that we are entering into. And I know that you've touched on it. Um, you see, in journalism, we have uh, the jury is out on what's called advocacy journalism. Um, journalism as advocating for certain issues, ideas, and principles. And we had a great discussion of it yesterday where Amanta Pereira, a very senior journalist, said that he had no problem with journalism, ad advocacy journalism, as long as the flag was put up and flying high and very open. And that you were very clear about what you were advocating for. Others, however, begged to, di beg to differ and say that journalism has no place in advocating any one position, no matter how partial it is to the journalist concerned. I was wondering, what is the role of critical art in the process that we are going to embark on? We are going to embark on, if the government and its representatives here are to be believed, a process of national reckoning at the grassroots as well as at the national, however it is seen and perceived and defined. It is going to be a critical juncture, and this exhibition is purely coincidental in its timing, but also very timely, as it were. What is the role of art going to be if, for example, all we limit ourselves is to engagements with the Office of National Unity and Reconciliation? Uh, can we contest ONUR? Can we cartoon Sirisena? Can we lampoon Ranil? Can we do a Charlie Hebdo with the constitutional theorists? How much critique do we risk in perhaps derailing the process for what we think is the authentic voice that we need as artists to, 
to, to put out and how much do we say that okay at some point of time the national story or that process is too precious in a sense for us to critique which is actually one of the original framing questions of the of the panel as well and I hope I've been clear so maybe Gihan and Jagat first I can't speak for the legal profession uh, yeah uh, but I can comment on it and I am critical of the legal profession um, and it starts from education um, I saw what Jagat was talking about in terms of education in the, the, the arts world is, is, is quite um, applicable to the legal profession. I think what we lack in the legal education sphere is imagination and curiosity. We fail to inculcate those values in the students at a young age and what we produce are often very advanced and qualified and competent lawyers who look at text and who are able to interpret text and then make submissions in court. And you need those lawyers. I mean, I'm not devaluing the, 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 the enormous contributions that lawyers make. But in order to get them to come and engage with your exhibition, you must first have that curiosity and imagination to engage in spheres that you are not comfortable in. And lawyers want to be comfortable in their domain. That's why they have chambers. That's why they, 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 they dress in a particular way. That's, that's why if you go to um, a, a, a Friday afternoon lawyers drink, you'll only meet lawyers. Um, so that's a problem, and I think it stems from education. And you're not going to have the legal profession engaging you on, on exercises of this nature, remarkable as they might be, uh, until we fix that. Uh, having said that, you need to find a few uh, characters who are willing to transcend and bridge the two communities because you can't do constitutional reform without the lawyers. And you can't do constitutional reform without the imaginers. You can't do constitutional reforms without the political side. So the, it's an interdisciplinary exercise that I think needs to happen through the, the hub, as, as it were, uh, of, of people who do have the, that kind of imagination. Um, and I do think that the problem right now is one of territory. And I think why I admire this project is because it is transcending territory. It's taking the, 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 the topic out of the constitutional lawyer's brief and putting it, putting it in the, the architecture, uh, architects. Um, do they have briefs? Uh, um, his domain. And I, I think that's really important because we're, we're not going to have a constitutional reform project, and we're not going to inculcate constitutionalism amongst the, the publics uh, you know, in, in their imagination without transcending that technical language and, and legalism and, and capturing the imagination. So I think these projects have to be celebrated, and these projects have to be uh, in the vernacular, it has to go out into the, the region, and we have, to, we have to make people actually admire our constitution or whatever we create at the end of this process, and, and really, you know, it's, it's surprising that we know the, the, you know the Fifth Amendment and the First Amendment of the US Constitution because it's in popular culture and we, we don't know the 18th Amendment of this uh, Constitution. That's a problem. Uh, so I think uh, there's a lot of work to be done and it can't be done only by lawyers. And, and I manifest your problem, I don't know it. <laughs> um, that's a tough question in a way if you, if you take it from my the way I think about art. But I, 
you know sanjana and my my belief is you know art is very serious business you know it it, it is contemporary art imagines this guy called artist philosopher and artist activist you, see, you know this is how uh, this is way like you know some of my kind of work that i do it is it art or is it activism like you know what i do in the east with these villagers you know talking to these people you know it's, it's very it has nothing to do with drawing painting aesthetics like but then <clears throat> what i talk about like you know, or is it art history or theory is it philosophy you know what are you what, what are you talking like you know there is this thing so what we need today is that kind of art art that shifts between activism and philosophy in other words art that really is has this idea about aesthetics ethics and politics you know it's not about if it's only about politics it's not going to work it has also this ethical aspect yeah like you know we all like you see one of the the complaints or like the i put to myself and to my kind of people in the south is why is it that why is it that when there were thousands of refugees up in the north in, in soon after the war the south was so silent about it i mean a few visual artists like me and tenu did some that's very private like but there was no movement for their suffering i still cannot answer that question how did that happen why we were not like we were very we could go on strike against mahindraja paksha or this or that but the suffering of those the poorest of the poor tamil people who were caught in that war and who were made into refugees and were was herded into these camps there was no mourning in the south for them there was no nobody i mean there was no action for them where how, how did that happen when tsunami hit we sent uh, we sent andum paladum and everything no whenever things happen we you know there is just something in the south but with this we didn't do it it's something that i try to understand like you know it is art has to come into politics as well but it is politics ethics and 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 whatever these these three things uh, anyway i'm not going to talk about you know i'm not going to directly answer your question because one thing i cannot because i don't know what uh, like you know, but you had some very direct questions in no you cannot do these things right now because you have to embrace the unknown you don't know what's going to happen you have to give space for that you cannot the opposition mentality is not going to be very useful i mean, your story incident about richard disoisa's film being banned that may be a problem just to hold on to these things as far as i think that's what, as a citizen this is how i think no as a citizen artist this is how i, I would like you know you, you know it, it yeah we are in a juncture where we can do because uh, i'm highly influenced by the literary people of south africa like and i i mean angie krog i don't know if you know this name angie krog she wrote a book called begging to be black she's a white africana i mean you read that book sex you know there's that liminality in it like you know she's a white africana trying to be a 
black begin and then the skull of my uh, uh, of skull of my country and the cry of mini mandela if you read these the, these authors were trying to grasp this thing what can artists do in a in a juncture like this what kind of novels should we be be writing what kind of art should we be doing i have no direct answer we will come out with that i'm back again um so gehan you said this about you know importance of bringing artists in and escaping the kind of hegemony of lawyers being the only people that were shedding some giving some direction on how to think about it so if i can push back and said does this achieve that because asanga is a lawyer and it's clear that chan has been guided by him uh is there you know uh, when i when we talk about bringing the perspective of artists i would have i thought i would have thought by what you're saying we need to actually just let the artist speak without actually structuring it according to the guidance and interpretation of a lawyer that's already given and then the artist becomes almost a painter that is visualizing the the perspective of the lawyer but what i really wanted to see i mean 2006 to 8 was very interesting because i at least as far as i could figure out i was not in the country but i kept looking at sri lankan art and you know people were painting and doing things that were completely sort of uh, conceptual and outside reality you didn't get art dealing with the conflict which was the everyday reality i may be wrong Uh, and i always thought you know we have so much political debate what if we just give artists the freedom to do models to do paintings and say say something about the conflict but don't tell them what to say because the whole point of wanting to see an artist's perspective is that you don't tell them the perspective that they want you to show so so to some extent we have a problem that even amongst us like you know who realizes now jagat says the 18th amendment could be positive but actually in this room we might nobody start to think that the 18th amendment could be positive who speaks for those who thinks the 18th amendment was a good idea uh because so the the group think that emerges out of some agreement some sense some way of seeing that sees what's good that sees what's evil and how do you move to that liminality that jagat is talking about that actually breaks your own boundaries of how good and evil are separated Uh, so i love almodova as a movie director because he does that for me you know i look at characters that i would normally say hor- horrible chap like absolutely out of bounds what he did but i feel really sympathetic like he moves me from judgment to a different way of seeing and understanding what what you know what good and bad is what truth is uh, so so here i'm i mean at least for me i'm i'm seeing reinforced in many ways what i already thought uh and and for this so so i i i think it's the step in the right direction but uh, but we haven't yet overcome uh, we haven't yet managed to keep the lawyers out is what i'm saying uh maybe we can there's a sanjana has to lead us along this path even further uh, for that to happen maybe hopefully uh more collaboration with not just architects and uh artists uh maybe fashion designers and what's come out of it you know i mean gehan uh, can uh, i mean am i expected to answer your question nishan mm-hmm. um to an extent i i see this differently i see this as a conversation between lawyers and a, a different 
sphere altogether. Um, and so I look at it as a lawyer. And I see it as an opportunity to converse with a different group of people who might take an idea that I find resonating with my, my own beliefs and communicating it uh, to a greater audience. So I don't need this to understand um, the problems with the 18th Amendment, but I do find it extremely fascinating to see a conversation between a lawyer and an architect uh, being produced in this manner. So I'm not sure Asanga's guiding, I, I think Asanga's conversing, uh, and that's what I think is powerful for me. What on earth was that? No idea, actually. Um, but I suppose that was a jarring awakening for us to end the session. I think it's absolutely fascinating, uh, the conversations that we had. As ever, it's an invitation uh, to carry out these connotation, uh, conversations uh, more with the panelists as, as, as much as amongst ourselves as well. I, I have a familiar refrain at the end of every evening, and I suggest whatever you take out of this room, that in the months ahead, we are all architects of our future. We will all be asked to participate fully uh, in uh, whatever shape and form that we want to uh, in a national dialogue, I hope, will be as inclusive as has been promised by certain individuals standing here at this podium. And even if it is not, I think today we have the imaginative and the ideational and the expressive capacity and capability to certainly articulate our ideas in the open. As some of us told the Prime Minister about two weeks ago, if the government certainly does not step up to its task of a consultative process and an inclusive one in fashioning what it wants to be a new constitution, then it is most certainly going to be the case that those who are opposed to the values that we hold true and dear to us, the ethical norms that we hold uh, 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 valuable in our lives, uh, the counter, the opposite, the spoilers are going to inhabit that domain. So I think if we leave this room with the idea that we have to be the architects of change, all of us, and not just look at that some individuals in government or the legal profession or the artistic profession or any other profession, uh, I think for me, in this quadrant of the room, we have 43 years, 43 years, and Asanga's note actually goes before the 72 constitution as well. So the story begins before the 72 constitution, but just here, we have 43 years of constitutionalism in this country that has gone awry, that hasn't been what it should have been. And I think all of us are now in a historical juncture where we can shape it to something more than what you see in this room. And I invite you to step up to that role and task. Thank you very much, Gehan, Gihan, and Jagat. Uh, I think the conversation was fantastic, and thank you for joining us. Again, may I remind you, for those who came late, catalogs, please take uh, as many as you want, even for those who couldn't take up a copy over the weekend. We ran out of copies, now we have copies, and tomorrow is the final day, and I also have a curator's guide at four o'clock, uh, but I take people around and explain to them the genesis uh, of this project. So if you are free and able, please come for that. Uh, and tomorrow's panel, I think, is also quite important. So please come for that as well if you're free. Thank you very much for coming this evening and wish you a pleasant night. Thank you.